You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So, we have a lot of phone calls that I want to get through, so I am going to lean pretty heavily on that. We have 27 calls as of this moment, um, and there's no way in the world I get through maybe five or six per, and as you know, I tend to purge them once the game starts and that's coming up so um just a couple things i wanted to touch on um i'll do it as quickly as i can and then we'll turn it over to the calls uh number one we got to look at the injury report um the latest that i am aware of was a very positive injury report jair alexander went from uh did not participate thursday to limited on friday apparently there was a some kind of mid-air collision with magoo and I would just like to point out, if I'm not mistaken, this is the second time Magoo has injured one of our players. So just just throwing it out there. But he is trending in the right direction. Zane Anderson's been full participation all week, so that's fantastic. Jair, by the way, is listed as questionable. Uh, Devondre Campbell is questionable for this game. He was limited all week, so there's some optimism that he may, able, may be able to play. Um, Elton Jenkins looks like he's completely good to go. Aaron Jones looks like he's going to be good to go. In what capacity, I don't know. Sounds like Matt LaFleur was making some kind of comments about we got to monitor his workload, so we're kind of right back to where we were before. We're going to see a limited role. So if you don't see as much Aaron Jones as you want, that's why, just so we're very clear on that. Uh, Luke Musgrave actually might play, which is shocking. He was in a boot, didn't participate on Wednesday or Thursday. And then apparently just got his boot off and was practicing on Friday and is questionable to play. So that's kind of shocking. Uh, Josh Myers didn't participate on Wednesday, limited on Thursday, and full on Friday. He is listed as questionable, but that is some serious progress from him. I don't know what the heck happened these last couple days, but people are getting into ship shape here. Josh Nyman is good to go. Christian Watson has been full all week and is good to go. Devontae Wyatt uh, limited, limited, and then full participant on Friday and is good to go. And, uh, Preston Smith just had an illness, was out on Thursday, but, uh, was back at it. So this is a shockingly positive injury report. I would have thought Jair is unlikely. Devondre is unbelievably unlikely. I would have thought Aaron might just not play. Luke Musgrave, I thought there was a 0% chance he was playing. And then Watson and Wyatt, especially at the time of the injury, I thought it was going to be several weeks. I mean, I really thought Christian Watson was going to go on IR. 
and Wyatt potentially too, and it looks like they might even be back this week. So I'm excited about it. I mean, we can be kind of grumpy and you know, who cares? They suck anyways, but I, I'm, I'm pumped about it. We'll see how much they play or whatever, but seems like good news to me. But all right, a couple things. Number one, I just had a thought cross my mind and I figured I'd bring it up. I don't really have anywhere to go with this. And we actually did have a caller. This might be tonight or else it happened last night. I cannot keep track. But going over some potential head coach options. But the question is is this, and, and this I had heard this kind of come up on a different podcast and it kind of got me thinking. Because I know a lot, of, a lot of the fan base, probably more than 50%, is convinced that Jordan Love is not the problem. It's Matt LaFleur. He's the problem. And, and maybe a little bit Brian Gutekunst. And, and again, we are just going full-blown Justin Fields mode. Every single person is to blame. The head coach, the play caller, the GM, the organiz- organizational failure, offensive line, wide receivers. Like, everything is a failure. Anyways, my opinion, your opinion, all that stuff doesn't necessarily matter. Let's just say hypothetically, the people at the top look at this and say, look, Mark Murphy is on the way out very soon. We have tried it with Gutekunst, and we are unsatisfied, right? He kind of had his moment in the sun with Aaron Rodgers trying to make that work, and he couldn't make it work. He tried to get a quarterback. He got the wrong quarterback. He's not the guy to find the right quarterback. Matt LaFleur, we tried him out. You know, he's got some some good things, but he's just not the guy. It's not impossible, and I'm not going to pretend it's impossible. I don't know what the people at the top are thinking. I do think it's a little weird as far as the timing with... Mark Murphy, but he may have a successor in mind and he may, you know, very heavily lean on that person. I kind of have an idea who that might be, but it doesn't matter. Let's just say they do decide they're going to make an organizational shift and Mark Murphy and this other person begin the process of trying to find other people. A major selling point may very well be if the Packers are at the top of the draft order. Let's just say hypothetically we do have the number one pick. That's really enticing for the top people in the NFL. If you're trying to recruit, let's say the the Lions offensive coordinator is sort of the A number one, right? He's done some good things in Detroit. He comes from a great culture, all that stuff. Everybody really likes him. Everybody really wants him. Who knows? Maybe we get uh, John Dorsey to come over as well. I think I'm the only person that likes John Dorsey, but he's the guy that found Pat Mahomes. I think he did a good job in Tampa Bay turning that franchise, or, or excuse me, in Cleveland and turning that franchise around from the biggest joke in the world to a team that actually had promise. You bring those two Lions over here to Green Bay. Maybe you get John Dorsey first because he was a former Packer. He gets to come back. He gets to be that dude. He can help recruit the off the offensive coordinator in Detroit. Again, I like Gutekunst. And I like Matt LaFleur's play calling. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about anything else, and I certainly can't praise any of it. But I just wanted to bring that up for the sake of, you know, if things go south... It doesn't necessarily just mean, hey, we could possibly get a top quarterback. For those that really don't like the coach-GM combo or any any one of those two or whatever combination you don't like, the team being at the very bottom is a great opportunity to get some of these top people in. You don't have to like John Dorsey. It's fine, whoever you like. If you get to say to a prospective GM, you get to come to one of the most storied franchises in NFL history. You get to pick, at the top of the ticket, the number one quarterback in the draft. And I'll let you, or at least to some degree, work with you, handpick your offensive and defensive coordinator. That's not a bad thing, man. That's an enticing offer. Again, it's not necessarily the direction I want to go, but if things are getting stale, if the offense is good but it could be better, 
if Gudekunst is, is doing a good job, but it's not good enough, or just complete trash for some of you. If you have an idea of some of the new young up-and-comers, and I'm talking GMs too, I know I said Dorsey, I do like Dorsey, but whatever. I mean, we could really be in a organizational transformation. I don't think it's likely, but it's, it's worth noting that that is a possibility. If things go south enough, it's entirely possible that this thing gets blown up. I mean, again, it, it was it's similar to 2018, where at some point you just say, you know, um, we've tried it, and we've been patient, and enough is enough. And essentially, like I said, it was Mark Murphy that just said, enough is enough, and he, he stopped working on what he was working on, and he said, you're done, you're done, you're done, right? He, he gave, uh, actually, it was, it was actually kind of interesting because... Now, now now, it's got me thinking a little bit as far as Matt LaFleur is concerned. I remember when he gave Mike McCarthy sort of an ultimatum. Like, it was time for his extension. They gave him a one-year deal. And I thought, what? And this isn't 2017. Remember, this This wasn't even 2018. This was 2017. And the season was bad, but Aaron Rodgers got hurt. So it's like a one-year deal. What the F is that? That's really weird. Like, you can't tell me his head is on the chopping block. Sure enough, next year, Rodgers comes back. The team still sucks. And they're like, oh, I guess your one year's up. Have a good time, buddy. He's gone. Again, Ted Thompson was, he kind of walked himself out, but, and it was just, it was game over. And it was time to just blow it up and start over. And we're kind of, to some degree, already doing that. And there, there, there is a case to be made in terms of like, you know, we're, we're trying to not do the full-blown rebuild and just say, you know, we've got enough pieces. Let's just kind of try to turn a corner, see if we can get Jordan Love to be good enough or whatever. And it just, it's like, we just can't get the car to turn over. And yeah, maybe if you just get a better quarterback in there and a new defensive coordinator, everything's fine. And if the guys at the top believe that that's the case, fine. But if they don't, because again, it's not my opinion that matters. It's not your opinion that matters. It's what the heck is the guys at the top's opinion. And if Gutekunst is safe, is he looking at Matt LaFleur to make a change? If Gutekunst is not safe, is it Mark Murphy looking at, maybe we blow this whole thing up? Thank you for your time. You did your best. Time to move on. It's not impossible. So... I just wanted to bring that up and again mention that, you know, if things do get that bad, if the organization is not happy with the GM and the head coach, that is the exact time to do it. Same with the quarterback. Like, well, Jordan needs another year. Bro, you're not getting the number one pick again. Unless you do what the Chicago Bears did and make a trade with a god-awful team and take their only weapon away and just hope that they get the number one pick, and then you end up with back-to-back number one picks, except in this scenario they didn't because we would have the number one pick, but... You don't pass that up. You don't pass on a generational quarterback talent because you just think, well, we'll do it again another year. You may never have this opportunity. You know, when was the last time the Packers had the number one pick? I have no idea when that would be. No idea. According to this, the Packers have selected the number one overall pick in the draft twice in 1957 and 1959. Two times in the team's entire history, which, by the way, again, kind of leans a little bit toward Matt. I'm sorry, but... Number one pick is, like, in our franchise history, pretty brutal. The other thing I wanted to bring up is Josh Myers. And we've kind of been over this before, and I understand he's a bad run blocker, and if that's your issue with him, then that's completely fine. Um, But I am seeing people lose their ever-loving minds on social media because the position coach said Josh Myers, the, the offensive line coach, said Josh Myers is playing his best football of his career. And, I mean, I don't know that I go that far but whatever um but again i think he's playing about the same football that he has been and um everybody lost it and then i think it was tom silverstein posted an article kind of backing it up like well you know aside from the grades 
if you look at the stats, he's actually playing pretty well. And I'm seeing people comment things like, well, the, you know, PFF is stupid. And it's like, bro, those are stats. That's a statistic. That, that, that's, that, that's not debatable. I mean, you could maybe argue to some degree that it's somewhat debatable what a pressure is, although not really. But even still, they're not off by that much. The problem is everybody has a perception that Josh Myers is bad. And then everybody tells you, right? Oh, Mike Wall and, and a bunch of other people that are offensive line experts say he sucks. So he sucks. And I don't care what the actual offensive line coach of the Green Bay Packers says. I don't care what the actual statistics say. The online experts and all my friends on Twitter say he's trash, so he must be trash. Okay, let's start with something that actually sucks, because I figure somebody would probably want to go here, and I was just curious anyways. The ESPN pass block win rate rankings. I don't usually care about this because I see some of the dumbest crap ever, but let's just start there. They have Josh Myers ranked 8th in terms of interior offensive line, so that's not just centers, that's centers and guards. In the entire NFL, 32 teams... Three offensive linemen for each team on the interior, as well as multiple people who have been rotated in. So take 32 times three and add in a handful more. Out of all of those, they have Josh Myers eighth. Okay, what about PFF? What does PFF have to say? Let's take a look-see. We've already done this, but let's do it again. If you look at pass blocking, his grade ranks sixth. Sixth best pass blocking center out of 40. If you look at the pressures, he has given up the 10th least with just six pressures the entire season. That's pressures, not sacks. He's only given up one sack. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure the man has played six games. So that would mean he's given up one pressure in each game. And by the way, some of the guys ahead of him have played in less games. Connor Williams, for example, has given up two pressures, which is great, but he's only played four games. Now, that still averages out higher, but it's worth noting. Four games for him, three, four, um, three, four, four, four. All the top guys are, are less than Josh Myers. But even still, he ranks 10th in pressures allowed. So we got 8th among all interior guys from ESPN. We have 6th as far as pass blocking. We have 10th as far as pressures. If we look at pass blocking efficiency, he's tied for 11th with 98.4. That's basically pressures, but, you know, it, if you've given up sacks or hits, it's it's a little bit worse or whatever. He ranks 11th. Again, that's out of 40 centers. Not trash, not worst in the NFL, not any of that stuff. One of the better centers in football. I'm sorry that all your buddies on Twitter don't agree. I don't give a crap. I'm sorry that all, that all the online experts tell you that he's terrible. And again, if you'd like to go listen to all the online experts and all the off, ex-offensive linemen who, quote-unquote, watch the tape and have all the knowledge. It's funny, I was listening to somebody else talk about it, and they're like, we... They were trying to break all this stuff down, and they're like, of the six plays I watched, like, <laughs> you're going to sit here and tell me what happened when you watched six plays? Six plays. How about every play? Did you watch every play? Okay, then shut up. All right, how about SIS? What does SIS say? Because they've got some different metrics. How about blown block rate? And and Silverstein had, had alluded to this as well. But if you look at every... And I did minimum snaps 200, so 200 snaps... Every single offensive lineman, this is tackles, guards, and centers. There's 163 offensive linemen who have played 200 snaps. Josh Myers ranks 7th in the entire NFL with just a 0.5% blown block rate on pass blocking. The next highest Green Bay Packer is Rasheed Walker, who ranks 73rd, and Zach Tom, who ranks 75th. They are way down the list. Zach Tom 
is seventh, significantly higher than everybody else on this offensive line. And almost every single other human being in the entire NFL, Penny Sewell, Lloyd Cushenberry, Connor McGovern, Robert Hunt, Jason Kelsey, and Ryan Kelly are the only people in the entire NFL of all the offensive linemen who have a better pass blocking blown block rate. Let's continue. What about points earned? So this is like EPA for offensive linemen. When you look at pass blocking, out of 163, Josh Myers ranks 32nd. Now, that's not the best in the world, but that's out of left tackles, left guards, centers, right guards, and right tackles. That's also the highest of any Packers offensive lineman. The next highest is Zach Tom at 35th. What about points above average? He ranks 27th. That, again, is the highest of all Green Bay Packers offensive linemen. Zach Tom is 34th. Rasheed Walker is 35th. Here's the real kicker, though. When you look at... Uh, For example, points earned per snap. This is pass and run blocking. This is just every single play regardless. Josh Myers ranks 32nd. 32nd overall. That includes pass blocking and run blocking. And yes, it is the highest of all offensive linemen. Zach Thomas, 35th. And let me tell you why I like points earned more than I like PFF's grades. Reason being, as I've said a million times, they seem to weight run blocking a little heavier. I, I mean, you've got a guy, let's let's look at it. What is his overall grade? It's really pretty poor. Uh, let me go back to the blocking here. Let's go to the Green Bay Packers. Josh Myers has a 75 pass blocking grade and a 48 run blocking grade. They gave him a 56 grade overall. Um Which plays are more important, pass blocking or run blocking? The point is you would probably lean pass blocking. If you look at points earned, there's going to be more points generated on passing plays. And so if you're good on a really positive play and bad on a play that really doesn't have much effect because it's a run play, even a good run play doesn't generate very much, it's going to weight much heavier toward a player who is a good pass blocker regardless of his run blocking ability. So Josh Myers, overall, has generated, according to this, um, per snap, 7.88 points. They have him as the 32nd best offensive lineman in the entire NFL. If you look at points above average, he ranks 29th in the entire NFL, regardless of position. 27th in uh, points above average per snap. Two spots below Jason Kelsey. If you look at points above replacement, so how much better are you than a replacement level player? He ranks 27th. 27th best offensive lineman. I can count how many centers are ahead of him. You got one, two, three, four, five, six. That's it. Six centers in front of him. So that would rank him seventh. Seventh best center, regardless of pass blocking or run blocking, in the NFL, according to these metrics. So yes, there's a lot of instances where if you look at a somebody taking a clip of, here's a video of, or, or a, a little clip of him looking stupid run blocking. Yes, there's a lot of those. The, the one bad statistic that I can find is his run blocking blown block rate. He ranks 111th at 3.1%. Here's the thing. Who gives a crap? Because again, we looked at the points earned per play. How does, he, how does he rank so high in points earned, in other words, value generated for the team, 
when he's not good against the run because the run doesn't generate any value. That's why. So, again, we can continue to piss and moan about Josh Myers, and that's fine. And I do wish at times that he could be better, and I have myself made comments about Josh Myers, what the heck are you doing? But to pretend that he is some kind of an abomination, as many, many, I would say the vast, I don't even know, to be completely honest. I know of one content creator who is not on this network. I don't know the opinion of people on this network of Josh Myers. I think JJ likes him, but I don't know. But I know one other content creator who is flat out said he is not a starting caliber offensive lineman. And I think that's nonsense. I do. I, I just think it's so unbelievably absurd. And and again, these statistics are coming out. Like 2% of the statistics... Well, that doesn't even make sense. Not even all the statistics I laid out are coming out. And people are just like, I don't believe this. Like, he's only given up six pressures on the season. Well, PFF is stupid. Bro, it's not a grade. It's not an opinion. It's a statistic. It's like tackles or sacks. Even if there's some variability in there. he it, They're not off by double. He didn't give up 12 pressures. This is, this is just a narrative that has spiraled wildly out of control, this whole Josh Myers thing, and it started before the season. I mean, I, I was begging people and pleading with people to understand he really wasn't bad last year, and nobody wanted to hear it. And this year fired up, and man, it is just getting worse and worse and worse. You'd have thought he was Rashid, or uh, uh, what the heck, Royce Newman. There isn't a metric that exists that I'm aware of that says he is a bad pass blocker at the very least. Now, if you are all in on run blocking and you just cannot tolerate a player that cannot run block, then you could argue that Josh Myers isn't good enough. If you want to. I think that's silly. And by the way, there are five centers in the NFL that have a good run blocking and pass blocking grade. Only five. So if you think these guys are just falling out of the sky, where you're just going to draft the center and he's going to be a good pass blocker and a good run blocker, ain't going to happen. Tyler Linderbaum, uh, Ethan Posick, Andre James, Frank Ragnow, and Ryan Kelly are the only current offensive linemen with at least a 70 PFF grade in run blocking and pass blocking. That's it. Anyways, let's take a break. We'll come back, take a few calls, get up out of here. We'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's us days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg... This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, Ryan, I'll, I'll try to stop calling, but I keep getting triggered by these calls. Um, You're good. I'm right out of saying they have no problem with the Hail Mary late. I have no problem with the Hail Mary late either, but you can't underthrow it. I mean, you got to get the ball off the field. And um, they're saying, why take underneath? You don't want to be Kirk Cousins. We have a kicker that, yes, he missed his first Google of the year in this game. I don't care about that. He is, in practice, 60 orders, not in Denver. We're in Denver where you kick it farther. I, we did not need the first down, I don't believe. I believe if we got right, to the right, 45 right, exactly. and that 63-yard field goal or shorter, um, I think Michael Ford was going to kick the field goal. And I think there's a pretty solid chance we could have made it. I mean, better than a Hail Mary, if you ask me. So, I mean, our kicker's been very good this year, other than getting kicked by the accommodated, so... Like, I was perfectly content with going short of the sticks there, um, personally, because our offense is not the offense that's going to make it into the end zone in that situation. So, I honestly was expecting underneath to go for the long field goal. That's just me. Um, but, I, I, again, we were in Denver, and he makes 60 yarders in practice. I know it's in practice, but still, he has the leg to get it there is my point. So, go back go. Yeah, and I, I'd mentioned that recently on one of these shows, but I mean, I, I think that's to some degree situational awareness. You know, I mean, look, if you think he got the shot, you think he got the guy. I understand he's that's his his mentality. He's got all the the guts in the world, and he's gonna you know be a gunslinger. But we got two chances, and if you take the underneath, we could potentially be close enough to kick a field goal. If not, you get a second shot, and that's a second shot to you know if you want to take a deep shot, second shot to just convert a first down. Um, Whatever. So, yeah, just got to be gotta be smarter in those spots, I think. Hey, Ryan. Uh, this is Aaron. Just giving you a call. Uh, sorry, prison Mike went back to the clink for all the oh, man. crimes that he did Against before humanity, but never yeah. got caught for neither. Sorry. <laughs> so, anyways, um, I'm just giving a call because there's all this talk of Jordan Love and is he the guy? And here's the thing with my view on him is that Quarterbacks like him, where he has all of every talent, skill, everything you could want in a possible quarterback, right? He has every capability of being great. A lot of times, guys like that, it's like they either they have a flip or switch that they need to flip and like a spark that just, they just somehow get it. Like they, that all the inaccuracies go away, all of this stuff that is a problem just goes away. And But that needs to happen soon. If that's going to happen with Jordan Love, it's got to happen within the next couple of weeks or else that switch is never going to be flipped and that spark's never going to happen. And Jordan Love is just going to stay this quarterback. And so if that can happen, if just something sparks and clicks in his mind, that would be incredible. That would be great. That's all we could ever ask for. But honestly, being a Jordan Love fan, I don't see that happening. And that kind of hurts to say 
but not just from being a fan perspective. It's just he's such a good guy that it's like you want to root for him, but at some point you got to realize whether the click or not is going to happen. And I hopefully Goot doesn't just hold, hang on to him like longer than he should, like he has in the past with some other players, um, uh, because he's not a third round pick. So I'm talking about Jordan Love not being a third round pick. But anyways, um, so hopefully Goot can either pull the trigger one way or the other, and he can own up to either his mistake or his legacy can he sticks with him and the legacy becomes great. Um, that's all you can really ask for. And so hopefully we'll see. Uh, oh, but yeah, bye. Well, I think you said it with a switch needs to be flipped. And um, that's what we're waiting for. And I'm just going to patiently wait and try to enjoy my Sundays and wait for that switch to get flipped. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it doesn't. That's kind of across the board with the team, with the motivation, the coaching, preparation, the quarterback, whatever. Whatever the thing is that needs to be flipped, it's, it's, I w- we'll be waiting. <laughs> just going to sit here and patiently wait. Isn't that patiently waiting? Is that, no, it's 50 cent. Aaron, 50 cent, man. Came full circle. I was on the last thing. Two quarters, 50 cent, you know. I've been patiently waiting for a track to explode on. Just patiently waiting. Hello. Hey, Ryan. Hey, there he is. Um, I don't have any, like, hard statements. I'm just processing through a few things. Sure. And I wanted to get your thoughts on them. Um, the first thing is regarding Jordan Love's uh, deep ball accuracy. Um... I'm not, I don't have stats in front of me. I don't have SIS sure. or anything like that. So I'm going based off of what I remember, what I feel like I've seen and the eye test, I guess. And I feel like last year and in the preseason and against the Eagles for the little bit we saw and, um, also even earlier on this year in camp, I thought his deep balls were actually pretty good. Uh, someone, this came back to me because one of the other callers said, um, Something along the lines of, it looks like he just puts too much air into the ball, like it's floating. And I will not forget, in the preseason, Matt LaFleur kept saying he needs to get more air into the ball, more Mm -hmm. air into the ball. And I made a comment, um, I don't remember if it was here or if it was um, on Clayton's show, but uh, that I don't want any more tweaks. It's too close to the season. I don't want to be making changes in the season to how he throws his throwing motion, how he tries to place the ball that's that's for the off season wherever it's at come training camp i don't want any more adjustments unless they're very very minor um and so yeah i'm just wondering is any of his deep accuracy because they're trying to make him do things he's not used to they're trying to adjust his throwing motion in season and if so i do blame coaching staff for that i don't have any proof i don't know i'm just like i said i'm processing through things I feel like I'm really slow, but I am literally thinking through this as I'm talking about it. The second thing I wanted to say is I'm not saying the scheme is bad. Let me pause there for a second. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing what you're saying is like he was fine before and then they tweaked what he was doing and told him to get more air into the ball and then that kind of messed him up. The issue with that is, and I'm trying to pull up my training camp notes just to see if I can see because I, I don't think that was the case. Most of training camp really wasn't great for Jordan Love. But the problem on its face with the statement is 
he doesn't need to fix anything if everything's working. It's what I know is it wasn't like he was doing great and then the coach came out and he's like, hey, these are perfect, but I want it to be different perfect. The problem is it was bad and Matt LaFleur came out and said, here's how you fix it. It probably had to do with a lot of the interceptions. Here's how you fix it. In fact, I, I know exactly what it was. it was. There was a lot of incompletions and it was deep ball accuracy issues and Matt LaFleur said, well, what he needs to do is kind of loft it to give the... Um, wide receiver the opportunity to adjust to it it just it just allows a wider margin of error because if you throw a dart it just has to be perfectly accurate if you throw it a little bit more like a freaking mortar then the wide receiver can adjust so that was trying to fix the inaccuracies where the heck did i put all my training camp notes i cannot find it oh i put it in a spreadsheet i don't know i can't find it but i i think that is the the situation i don't think it's that it was working and then it got tweaked and then that just broke him. Because again, remember, coming into the season, I had said deep ball accuracy was a major concern that I had, that and being under pressure. All right, next question. Ed, because if guys are open, you're right. I did ask another question. You'll probably get to it. I haven't heard your response yet on it, but asking about, you know, well, just because he's open doesn't mean, like, you know, where is he at in the progressions and did he come open after love was under pressure and all this stuff. But my my point that I, or the thing I'm trying to think through right now is, Battle 4 said after the Lions game that they got to do a better job getting love out of the pocket, um, you know, with some bootlegs or whatever. So he has the ability to run or not. And I actually think love's been way more accurate when on the move. And we did not do hardly any. So this is the game after that now. Or he said it after the Vegas game. And now the game after that against the Broncos, we still had almost no rollouts or boots. So we're not getting him out of the pocket. So I am frustrated with before there of I wanted to put love in position to succeed based on love's strengths. Just focus on that. So I'm not blaming before. That's just a thought. All right. Bye. Um, well, thanks to SIS, we can actually uh, look into that. The first thing is, I mean, the designed rollouts are not things that happen a lot. The person who has done the most of that is Sam, Sam Howell. And he's done it 24 times over seven games. So that's three times a game. And that is the absolute most in the entire NFL. So there's no offense that you build around designed rollouts. That's not really a thing. Can you up it a little bit more because we think it can help? Maybe. I, I personally don't like it. And the reason I don't like it is, number one, it's a very long developing play. And when you snap your head around, you've got to start making some tough decisions. The other problem is it, it really messes with timing. I think a three-step drop your entire playbook is already built around that. You got this longer developing play. That's an entirely different deal. You got a different route tree. You got everything else. You got to try to figure out the... You're, you're trying to get on the same page between quarterback and wide receiver is a problem. The other thing is you're kind of cutting the field in half. I don't like that. The entire point of what a lot of this offense is is making the field more stretched out. You take more field so that you create more space. You cut the field in half. Now there's less space. You're making it easier on the quarterback, but... I mean, if we have to dumb it down so that he only has like one or two reads on one side of the field, I don't like that either. Now, as far as him being able to run, I mean, I guess. But here's what we got for Jordan Love. Uh, it looks like he's done it eight times. He has got eight attempts, six completions for 213 yards. So it is the most yards of anybody in the NFL. I was wondering why he was at the top of this list. 213 yards, zero touchdowns, zero picks, zero sacks, four pressures, which is another kind of issue. It's you're probably going to face more pressure. So there's been success insofar as the yardage is concerned. I mean, on a, par a per completion basis, I mean, that's kind of insane. 
213 yards on six completions. Um, if we're looking at, I mean, again, e- even with the accuracy, it's still, I mean, 75% seems good, but it ranks 35th out of 43 for catchable pass percentage. On target percentage, he ranks 37th out of 43. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh lowest as far as on target percentage. So the accuracy isn't improving, but it seems to be a play that is working. It's a really small sample size. Again, we're talking about six completions, but you know, it, it seems to have more success than not, more success than a lot of others. Like, for example, if you look at adjusted net yards per attempt, Jordan Love's number one. That's more of a production thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's something you can put in your back pocket to do a little bit more often. It's not something you're going to do 10 times a game, 15, 20 times a game. Again, the number one guy does it three times a game. So, fair enough. It's an interesting note, but it's also one of those things, you know, one of the comments that a lot of people make is, don't do these high-risk things that could set you back, uh, you know, like a big play. These are exactly those types of plays, because as he's booting out, if an edge rusher gets through, if there's a missed block, this isn't just one of those things where you can step up in the pocket, and maybe if you get sacked, you lose a couple yards. This is going to be like a 11, 12-yard loss. So it is that sort of high-risk kind of play. But again, I asked you guys to be specific. That was specific, and I appreciate that. Uh, we got two calls from Mitchell coming up. I was going to do one more and then take a break, but since this is a back-to-back thing, let's take a break now, and then we'll get both the calls from Mitchell. Um, I do want to say thank you. I keep forgetting the last couple breaks to Frank Cannon. Thanks for your uh, support on Venmo. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can do so for over there for as little as a buck a month, or hit me up on Venmo, Packernet Podcast. Thank you all very much for your support. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, it's Mitchell from Canada. What up? Um, I laughed at the, uh, the fishing analogy because I'm Canadian. <laughs> I didn't even really think about it. And, and I'm not even a fishing guy, really. I haven't fished since I was a kid, but I'm like a Toronto area guy, so more of a city, city dude. But, uh, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate. <laughs> and um, it was a good analogy, but we're, we're going to move on. Um, and uh, I want to say yes. Jordan is is worrying me for sure, um, especially the decision making. The timing just looks off. Um, the timing seems to be getting even maybe worse. Yeah, I think so. But here's where I'm stuck, and the team is still playing bad around him, in my opinion. Yeah. It's hard to say, especially when it was a very similar issue, um, very similar issues last year we had with Rodgers. 
And yeah. I went back, I listened to a few podcasts from years from, from last year, this time last year, and literally very similar things being said, except it's Roger's name and not Love's name. Um, so my thing still is the play calling. You know, is the play calling good? The scheme is fine. The coaching is fine. But not only is Love a bad QB, but Rodgers was too. Maybe we did put a bit too much blame on Rodgers last year because it seems weird that all that stuff is okay, but now a Hall of Fame quarterback and a first-round pick aren't good QBs anymore. Um, it's just the same issues, and it just it's just very weird to me that, that we were kind of saying the same thing about the QB last year as we are this year, and but everything else in the offense is fine. Uh, maybe it is the offense hindering the QB position. Um, and I know you looked at the plays from the Raiders game and you said you have no issue with play calling. You've seen guys open, but to me, it's not that black and white. It's not just scheming guys open. Um, I can almost bet almost every play by every offense, there's a guy open somewhere, but it's more than that. You know, it's, it's when are they open? Are they open in the right spot? Is it the first read, the second read, the third read, you know, it is kind of one thing to watch it play by play, taking notes and, and different from when it's live playing. There's just no rhythm. There's no balance. It's, it's not, it's every single play. Every play can be a good design. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean it's fine, right? Like I said, there, there's gotta be, there's gotta be balance and rhythm. Um, there's just something wrong. You know, he is a good play designer. Um, and I think he does scheme his guys open, but to me, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was the right play to call at that time. So there is a part two that there's, um, I, I do, I like that, by the way, I like the connection that you made between Rogers and love and saying, you know, you're saying the same things with two different quarterbacks. So what's the common denominator? I get that. And I think that that's, um, a good sort of different vantage point to attack the same issue. I've got four issues with it, though. Number one is 2019. Number two is 2020. Number three is 2021. And number four is just watching it. And I know you've kind of addressed that, like he's open, but that doesn't matter. But but let me just give you, for example, uh, one example. When Aaron Rodgers throws a fadeaway jumper that falls 10 yards short of David Bakhtiari into the arms of Aiden Hutchinson... That's an Aaron Rodgers issue. There is no scheme in the universe that is going to cause him to make that kind of a boneheaded decision. There is no schematic issue that would cause him to never see Jaden Reed on that second and 20 coming wide open, and he's open for 10 seconds, especially when Christian Watson is right behind him, and that's who he's deciding to throw to. And even if he wants to throw to Christian Watson, he didn't throw it on time, and he didn't throw an accurate ball. None of that has to do with scheme. Now, it's hard to look at it and say, well, the timing is off. I don't know, but this is the thing I don't get either, because a lot of film guys will break it down and be like, yeah, but that's not the primary read, or that's not, you know, the progression. Dude, how how are you going to tell me that we've got four guys running routes, but you're only really looking at, like, one of them? What the F are you talking about? Then why do we have all these guys just out there running routes? I understand that sometimes you got a guy, like, clearing out or whatever to try to create space underneath. That's fine. 
But the entire point of this is that when somebody comes open, that's when you should be looking. You know when Jaden Reed is coming around that corner, and you know Christian Watson's coming out around the corner a second later. Where are your eyes? What are you looking at? I don't know how. Especially on a second and 20 play, when, when again, these are your deep routes, Reed and Watson... You're telling me you're not even looking over there? And I know you are because you're looking at Watson. So how do you not see Reed wide open? If you're telling me you're not even going to glance at him when he comes out of his break first. And by the way, you should know to look there anyways based on the alignment of the defense. That's where your eyes should go based on where the safeties and the corners and everybody else is. You should know prior to him even coming out of that break, Reed's going to be my guy. This is what happened earlier in the season where he knew the guy was going to be open over here, so I'm going to move my eyes over there and then last second fling it. I already got this processed out. I know what's going to happen. I can see the future. Now he's staring right at it, and the defense is telegraphed where they're going to be, and he can't see a guy wide open. And again, even when he does, the ball is way off. So there may be instances where what you're saying is true, and if, if a guy comes open, but he's... And in fact, I do remember seeing that on occasion. Now, that may be Jordan Love coming off the read too soon, but you can have a situation where, where you get the timing, you get to the top of your hitch, you look, and he hasn't come out of his break yet, and you come off it. Like, you're supposed to be out of your break... You're not, I'm not going to sit here and wait for you. So you move on. That could be a timing issue as far as the wide receiver not uh, being in the rhythm of the offense. But I'm just saying, from, from the vast majority of the things I see, they're not questionable. It's not a matter of, of any of that. It's just, what the F are you doing? You know, I mean, when you throw it in, in the Raiders game, triple cover to Jaden Reed, what, what is the schematic issue there? When you've got guys open and you choose to throw to a triple-covered guy, that has nothing to do with timing or scheme or rhythm or anything. That's just nonsense. When you throw that pass to Samori Ture, and you, you don't have the situational awareness to realize that the play that's been working all season, the out route, on, on like third downs, is going to be there, and it's going to get you down the field, probably in field goal range, or if not, you can go for it on a, on a closer one on fourth down. You decide to throw it to Samori Ture, which, even if you want to say that's a good idea, it's a terrible ball. That has nothing to do with scheme. Nothing whatsoever. He made that decision, and it was the wrong decision. And it was the wrong play on that decision. So there may be individual instances where certain guys and the, the wide receivers are not exactly quite timed up perfectly. I'm sure that happens sometimes. He's looking, and the guy's not right where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be coming out of their break. But even that is kind of a lame excuse because, again depending on the situation, and we're kind of just making up situations at this point, but let's say, for example, you have the, the classic Jordan Love play where you've got somebody running a, a an in, you know, they're going to run up and they're going to run in, and they're wrapping around behind a defensive player who's in zone. Even if he's a little bit slow, who cares? You know it's going to come open. Wait for it. Move your eyes to the right and come back a second later and throw it into that open window. As long as you know the defensive coverage and you know what routes your guys are running, you should know who's going to be open. And if you know who's going to be open and you can anticipate them and when they're going to be open, even if they're a half a second late or a whole second late, which is a really long time in football term, when you're running a route, wait for it. It's coming. Now, if it's man coverage, you're not sure if he's going to come, then fine. You come off it, whatever. If you want to, I guess that's a judgment call or maybe that's what you're taught to do. I don't know. But but these are these are not instances that I'm seeing. And if it was, I would say it, right? He came off of it. He was looking at him. He came off of it and then he came out of his break. Maybe he came out too late, but that doesn't come up because I just, I haven't observed that. So I'm sure of the 20 times or whatever it is that I've highlighted Jordan Love making a mistake, they're not all Jordan Love's fault. Or there's some additional culpability. Yes, it's Jordan Love's fault, but it's also, 
you know, there was a little bit of pressure because, you know, Zach Tom lost his guy and Jordan Love panicked. Or, you know, the receiver maybe ran a little bit too inside and he should have been more outside. Whatever the case may be. But the, the, the issue is you can directly look at a lot of these issues, and this goes back to Aaron Rodgers, and see this could be better, and it should be better. I mean, when you've got, I mean, when you have a quarterback that identifies it and sees the open man and throws it and it just misses, it's got nothing to do with scheme, right? I mean, the, the accuracy issues, have we know it has nothing to do with scheme. That doesn't even make sense. So I get what you're saying, and I like that vantage point that you're coming from, right? Because you can make that connection. But it's just not fully connecting for me because of, again, those sort of four issues. 19, 20, 21, and what I've seen with my own eyes just doesn't quite make a connection. Here's part two. I'm not really sure where I got cut off. What I was saying is just because guys are open, he is a good play designer. It doesn't mean it was the right call to to call at that time. Well, and so I I like the first part. I think that makes sense that just because they're open, maybe that's not where his eyes are at that time or whatever for various reasons. I don't really know. But I mean, if the guy's open, I think it was the right play to the, the right call at the right time. Unless you're talking like you know, third and 15 and a guy's open at the two-yard line. That's irrelevant. But, I mean, if a guy's open, it feels like that's the right play call at the right time. You know, um, there's so many things that go into it. And I went back and watched the Eagles game from last year when Jordan was in. And go back and watch that and tell me that it looks the same as this year. When when Jordan went in um, last year compared to now, it looks totally different. We were spread... Um, we were spread out a lot in that game. The rhythm was great. Good balance. You know, Love still made mistakes. Well, that's what it was at the beginning of the year, too. It it looked the exact same. It was just real quick, bing, bang, boom. Here's a quick seven-yard slant. Take it for 10 yards. Everything looks smooth. It's just not that anymore. Mistakes, yeah, but it was flowing. And that's just the Jordan. And by the way, that Eagles game was in 2022. So if there's a coaching and schematic issue, why did that happen? It's worth asking that question, I think. I know he can be. He looked really good. Um, it just it looked like the offense was in rhythm. It was simple. They were spreading the defense out. It just seemed to make sense. It looked clean. I just think LaFleur is overthinking. Well, it was it was working. It was it was being executed, right? It was when that guy comes open. I mean, it was if you look at and I've we've all watched that Eagles game a thousand times because we're all wanting to see what Jordan Love can be. I mean, those plays are as soon as somebody comes out of his break, Jordan Love's already got the ball out of his hand. I mean, the the anticipation was unbelievable. He has zero anticipation right now. Zero. He's not anticipating throws at all. So what's changed isn't this. I mean, again, this is where we conflate execution with scheme. You know, it, it looked better because it was better because it was being executed better. It doesn't look good because it's not being executed right now, and, and we're just we're we're inserting scheme into that. We're assuming that the scheme is massively different. It isn't. There was a ton of spread in this game, and I said so when we did the breakdown. We got five wide. Now, maybe, I mean, you could say maybe we're doing too much of this 22 or 12 personnel BS. We're trying to get these tight ends too involved, and that's kind of stupid. I mean, and again, we can kind of say that. That's fine. But again, there's no issues. The guy's open. Effing throw the ball. <laughs> you know? Like I mean, if it wasn't working fine, go back to go back to five wide. See if that works. But it's not broken. If it ain't broke, don't what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
It ain't broke. He's open. We need anticipation from Jordan Love. We need him to be able to identify the defense and read a defense and identify which guy's going to come open and win and throw accurately with anticipation because he hasn't done that since week, what, three maybe in that comeback? I haven't seen it. I've seen some good throws, some relatively accurate throws, but I haven't seen any of those like Eagles game. That ball is out before Christian Watson even comes out of his break. I'm looking at that going, that's special. That's like next level. That's like stuff that you just don't see. Like, I'm not even really seeing Rodgers do that. And not to say he can't. I'm just saying, like, that is that is special stuff. Yeah, you've seen Rod The last two games, the, the Raiders game and the Broncos game, not one pass. Not one came out like that. You, you, you know, and, and you, you, again, you look at the Musgrave thing. He comes out of that curl route. He stands there. Three seconds later, Jordan throws it. What are you doing? You throw it before he even turns around so that when he turns around, the ball hits him in the chest. The Christian Watson thing. He comes out of his break... And then he throws it, like, a second later, and it's behind him, and it's low at his feet. Like, what the heck are you doing? What is that? That's the opposite of throwing accurately with anticipation. That's throwing, like, entire seconds late and way off target. So, I just, I don't, I don't think the scheme has massively changed, and, and, and I don't think changing the scheme is going to fix it. Because we're not seeing the same Jordan Love that we saw. So what good is it going to matter? What's, what's going to happen if we change the scheme? What's going to happen? Guys are going to get more open? No. <laughs> They're going to be as open. And we're going to need what? We're going to need Jordan to throw accurately, on time, with anticipation. And if he can do that, then he should do that. He doesn't, you know, whatever, I don't know. Yeah, especially in the first half. I know in the second half of this game, we were spread a little bit more here and there, and it seemed like we did better. Um, I just know going back and watching that Eagles game, just night and day to me. Like, just little things from this game. I seen JRJ trying to block a DB on a wide receiver screen on, like, third and nine. Like, why? You know, the end around to Wicks. I don't hate the play. I hate when it was called. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how much time we have. I might get cut off again. But it's just weird that we were having the same issues with a different quarterback last year. I just don't think that Jordan is, is this bad where he literally can't do anything. The timing is off big time. And I think it's more than just Jordan. I, I don't even think it's his accuracy so much as the timing. And I think that has a little bit more to do with than just Jordan. Something's weird. You know, um, I know most fans probably just see a bad executed play and say it's a bad play call. I do have a little bit of a background in, in play calling and scouting and it, really doesn't hold much weight in a Canadian uh, high school coach compared to that's like a peewee American coach in comparison. Um, but still, you know, just watching it. Like I said, I just go back, watch that Eagles game. Tell me you don't like the offense. Oh, I love the that. way it played in that game. I love so much more game. than what we're seeing this year. Anyways, <clears throat> no excuses. His play has been bad. I'm not trying to give him an excuse or anything, but, um, I'm gonna gonna run out again. <laughs> That's what it is. I just think play to your guys' strengths. It's your job to put them in the best position to win, and not just try to mold them into how you want to play. And I'm a huge Lafleur fan, so hopefully it gets better. Yeah, I'll just keep repeating the mantra. We'll just wait and see. 
Um, I mean, you could definitely understand why if the timing for the receivers is off, it would cause problems. But even looking at 2022, how many issues were there between Christian Watson and Aaron Rodgers? Roughly zero. I mean, that was just on the money. So are we now saying it's more likely that Christian Watson forgot how to run routes on time? Or just that Jordan is struggling. And and again, I don't think it's that big of a reach for us to, like, it's so hard for us to comprehend that he might not be very good. Or that he's struggling, you know, and he just needs more time or whatever, however you want to phrase it, he hasn't been good. I mean, you know, again, you go back to his college days and he showed a lot of potential, but he wasn't good. He wasn't like NFL ready. He needed to be coached. And then we saw him through like training camps and he still wasn't good and it was scary and we were all scared. Then we saw like nine plays in the Eagles game, and it's like, this guy's amazing. It's like, well, let's pump the brakes. It was a good couple plays. We'll see. Training camp, he was wildly inconsistent. Right? There was some good, but it was, you know, at best like 50% good, 50% bad. And then the preseason, I think, was kind of bad. And then the entire year has been bad. And we're just sitting here like, oh, come on. It can't be Jordan Love. It can't be Jordan Love is the problem. Why can't it be Jordan Love? Why can't it be? What has he done to prove that he's the guy? How do we know that he's the guy? How do we know? You don't know. He's done nothing to demonstrate that we we should have confidence in him over Matt LaFleur or other people that have demonstrated their, their abilities. Like, we refuse to believe the offensive line is doing a good job, and it is. We refuse to believe Matt LaFleur is doing a good job with almost nothing to back that up, at least that I've heard. And again, we've got a couple bites at the apple and that's fair enough but that's more speculative than you know anything else um again i i like the angles that a few people have taken but it's it's not definitive it's it's as i said it's it's speculative it's kind of you know here's one way to think about potentially how maybe it might be kind of a problem and it yeah maybe might be but i think if we're just guessing the best guess to my for me would be jordan love because he's never demonstrated anything, ever. So, you know, I mean, again, can he be a good quarterback in the future? Yes, but I, I don't understand the complete lack of belief that maybe he could be a problem. Maybe he's not good. Maybe he's been struggling. Like, why, why, why would that be hard to believe? When has he ever done anything to demonstrate to you that we know he's the guy? He hasn't. He hasn't. Again, unless we're going to go full-on Bears fan Justin Fields and say, look at these handful of plays, right? Which is what they would do. Look at these highlights. Look at this throw. Look at that throw. I don't give a crap. I don't care about a handful of throws. Can you be the guy? And the answer to that question so far has very, 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 very consistently been no. Very consistently. So, you know... I, I, I don't know I don't know what else to say I I I mean I'm, I'm, I'm I try to come as much across the line as I can I just I have nothing else to work with um look if I'm sure that Matt LaFleur is not the greatest play caller in the history of the universe he doesn't need to be but let's just concede that um the offensive line could improve not really much as pass blocking. It's about as good as you're ever going to get. But the run blocking could certainly get better, and a run game would be better than than if we, you know, having a run game is better than not. 
the receivers are certainly making mistakes. I don't know how often. I don't think any of us know how often, but at least on occasion. Uh, we, we know at least like one or two plays a game where we see two guys in the same spot and you know that's not supposed to happen. And so you know that there are at least one or two occasions where those guys are, are messing up. And, and it could be more than that. Likely more than that, let's say. Um, and you could also assume that if these things improve, it would help Jordan Love to improve. But even with that, even if I come that far in sort of a you know compromise or whatever, how much improvement? How much are we going to improve? If Matt LaFleur gets even more guys, even more wide open, and the run game marginally improves, which it did this last game and it helped not at all, and the... Uh, what else? And the, the wide receivers are doing a better job getting open than they already are and on time. Then how, what, what are we going to get? A top 10 quarterback? No. Not even, no. No. It's not even close. He goes from maybe 25th to 20th. I mean, we're, 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 we're beating around the bush so much and we're just nibbling around the edges. I mean, we're, we're, we're barely making a dent in the issues here. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Again, we, the, the fan base may get its wish, and Josh Myers can go away, the entire offensive line can leave, and the coaching staff can just get completely burned with acid, and the GM needs to go, and everybody leaves. We'll trade Jair, and we'll trade Kenny, and we we'll, might as well trade Rashawn, and we'll trade everybody. And everybody else will just get cut, and the only person we'll keep is Jordan Love, and we'll just build around Jordan Love. We'll rebuild the offensive line. Instead of being like the second-best pass-blocking offensive line, it'll be historically the number one pass-blocking offensive line, like in NFL history, just at the snap of a finger. We're going to rebuild the whole thing. We're going to get all new, brand-new wide receivers, the number one wide receiver, another top 10 wide receiver, and then like a top 32 wide receiver, on top of, of course, a top three receiving tight end. Like, you got to have a Travis Kelsey or you're never going to succeed. Uh, we'll get a, a replacement, Aaron Jones, with a better backup than A.J. Dillon. So we'll get, like, the number one and number three running back, which is what we had in the past with Dillon and, and Jones. But it'll be even better than that. And then finally, we're going to fix this defense. We're going to get a GM that actually can get superstars, not like Rashawn Gary or Jair Alexander or Devondre Campbell or any of those superstars, but, like, different, even better superstars with a different, even better um, defensive coordinator that's going to give us a top three defense, and then we'll win Super Bowls. Or... Maybe Jordan loves struggling. I don't know. But I do know I got to get out of here. So we will um, probably for Sunday, we're going to rip through. So we're going to do this again because uh, we got a bunch of calls and I really want to try to get through. I might even try to do like a bonus for uh, the Packernet or something just to try to get a couple more of these. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I always make promises and I don't follow through. I mean, uh, Patreon, whatever. And I should stop doing that. But I'm going to leave it at that for tonight. Uh, you guys have yourselves a good rest of your uh, your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.